Good morning, everybody. How you guys doing? I'm so, how you guys doing? It was really quiet. Yeah, I'm, I'm only doing like this myself. It, it kind of half, half this morning. So um, my name's Alan, and we're in the middle of a series of lessons called The Truth About Lies. Don't you hate being lied to? Being manipulated and misled? And what we've been, how many times have you found yourself in a situation where you just wish you could do, know the truth? Just wish someone would tell me the truth about something. Well, we started this series, we started looking kind of at the big picture of lies. And what we found was there's an origin, there's a beginning point. John 8, Jesus said it was the devil. He's a liar from the beginning. And his purpose is murder. To take away life. To cripple or destroy everything that God said is good. And he's got a strategy. You remember the strategy? Deceitful, deceptive ideas that appeal to or play to disordered desires in us that are then normalized in a sinful society. Recall all that? And then what we've, we've talked about each week since is specific lies that Christians often believe. And sometimes not even consciously. Sometimes we believe things that we don't even realize that we believe that they're true. In fact, the first time that someone says something to us or suggests that, we might say, oh no, I don't believe that, only to find out later, you know, when I think about it, I guess maybe I do. That's kind of like the topic that we're going to have, we're going to talk about today. The lie that we're going to try to tackle this morning is, my prayers don't matter. How many here have felt like your prayers just don't matter? Yeah. Well, you don't need to feel alone. According to a recent survey, 74% of adult Americans pray. Or at least report that they pray. Does that surprise you? 74, we don't even have that many people who will claim to be Christians. But 74% of people pray. They don't all pray to God like we do. Some of them pray to other things. But the vast majority of the people who claim to pray, even regularly, also say they don't think it does any good. That it doesn't have any power. They acknowledge, in fact, if you start searching this out on, on Google like I did, you'll find all these different secular programs and pages that advocate for praying to help you feel better, but not necessarily to change anything that's going on around you. Does that sound familiar? See, there's a, there's a, a thought out there, and sometimes we can believe this idea that our prayers don't really matter. They just kind of salve our consciences. But what's the truth about that? How do we know if this is a lie or if this is true? Well, let's go to a higher authority. Look, let's look at James chapter 5, verse 16. Most of us here are familiar with this verse, right? The power of a righteous person is what? Powerful and effective. Well, most of us would say that we believe this verse, right? We believe this is true. I mean, it's a pretty good authority. It's James. It's Jesus' little brother. It's in the Bible. And most of us would say we believe this. But do I believe that my prayers 
matter. See, the verse is that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. But do I actually think that my prayers are powerful and effective? Anybody tracking with me on this? Good. It's not just me. It's always good whenever there's more than just me who's dealing with something. Well, I guess the way that we would answer this, we would have to decide, am I a righteous person? I mean, that's the qualifier that James has got out there. It's not just any prayer of any person. It might be fair to assume that the prayer of a right, of a, of an unrighteous person isn't powerful and effective. That puts a little bit of an edge to this. So, my prayers don't matter for some people. In some cases, could be true. But it doesn't have to be true. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So my question for me, and hopefully I'm asking you to answer the same question, is are you a righteous person? Is there anybody else here besides me that stutters and hesitates a little bit before we say yes? Okay, well, what is a, what is a righteous person? Righteousness, the Greek word for that is dikiosune, I believe is how you pronounce it. It means what God requires and what pleases Him. Am I a person who's about what God desires and what pleases Him? Or am I about what I desire and what, what I require and what pleases me? It's one place to start. Maybe I should also bring up the fact that when we think about being a righteous person, sometimes we think that means being perfect. You know that's not true? I mean, are there any perfect people here? If you are, you're the one person who does not fit here this morning. <laughs> because there's only one, one righteous, completely perfect, I should say. One perfect person has ever existed, and that's Jesus. He's sinless. The rest of us are not perfect and probably never will be. But righteousness is not about being perfect. Romans 4 talks about Abraham. Paul talks about Abraham. And we find out there that Abraham believed God. He's the father of the faithful. Right? But we also read, if you know much about Abraham's story, Abraham was far from perfect. At least on two different occasions, he lied about who his wife was, said that, he, that she was his sister, so he wouldn't get in a jam. On another occasion, he had sort of his Garden of Eden moment where he listens to his wife who suggests that he ought to take her slave, Hagar, and have the child of promise with her since it wasn't happening with Sarah. So he listens to his wife and what a catastrophe that started, right? And there are many other examples. He was not perfect but he was righteous. So what are we supposed to learn from Abraham? A righteous person is just someone who believes God and is loyal to him. So now, are you a righteous person? I'm not asking if you're perfect. I don't think James is, is saying you've got to be perfect. But he is wondering, are you like Abraham in the, 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 the ways of, of, that you believe God and that you're loyal to him? Here's the truth. I can be weak and still be righteous. 
Praise God for that. But I can't be rebellious and still be righteous. There's a difference between weakness and rebelliousness. Weakness and rebellion, those are very different. If I'm rebellious, that's it's a deal breaker. But weakness is, is, is it's not a disqualifier. So, in the first couple of lessons, actually it was in the second lesson, we were talking a little bit more about Satan's strategy. And I told you then and, and tried to show you from Scripture that Satan's strategy about these deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society, that there's a predictable pattern of where he's going to deploy those tactics. I don't know if you recall that or not, but it was in the three great questions of life. Do you remember the three great questions? Who's God? Who am I? And what is the good life? Which of those three do you think Satan is trying to target his strategy on when it comes to my prayers don't matter? And I put it in your notes with blanks beside it so that you can check the one that you think. Or as many as you think. Who is God? Do you think he's going after that? Do you think he's trying to subtly put an idea in there that changes what we think about who God is? I think so because if God doesn't, if my prayers don't matter, then is God really good? Does God play favorites? If your prayers matter and mine don't, then he must have favorites. And yet we're told over and over in Scripture that that's not true of God. He's no respecter of persons. So I definitely think that first one he's going after. He wants to change the way you feel about God, what you think about who he is. What about the second one? Who am I? If God doesn't listen to me, why not? Do I not matter? Maybe it's not just my prayers that don't matter. Maybe I don't matter. If I believe that he's not listening to my prayers... Do I think it's because I'm not good enough for him to listen? So I think, I don't know what you think, but I think it could be that he's trying to go after that one too. What about the third one? What is the good life? Do you think this idea that your prayers don't matter might be an attempt to corrupt your idea about what the good life is? Yeah, I think so. If, if I'm praying for God to take an action, but I don't think it matters then what is the good life? Do I even know? So I think there's a, there's, a, there's a good possibility that Satan wants us to buy this lie so that he can corrupt all three. Why does the devil want me to believe that my prayers don't matter? Bottom line is, he wants me to be powerless and ineffective. We just read that, say, that uh, James said... That the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Do you think Satan likes that at all? The devil wants anything but powerful and effective Christians. So he wants us, he wants me to believe at some level that my prayers don't really matter. But it's not just that, I think he also wants to harm me. Jesus said in John 8 that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. Do you think he can harm me? Do you think he can harm you if he can convince you, 
even subtly, just down deep where you don't really think about it, that your prayers don't matter? Do you think he can harm you? Yes, he sure can. See, the, the devil knows, and I've got this in your notes, number one, I won't invest in prayer if I think my prayers don't matter. We don't invest in things that we don't think matters, do we? Has anybody here invested in CB radios? <laughs> I, okay. Anybody here had a CB radio? Anybody still have them and use them? <laughs> How many of you even know what a CB radio is? Yeah, you, you, nobody is buying stock in CB radios these days, right? Because they just don't matter that there's so many better ways to communicate. And the same thing, if we think our prayers don't matter, we're not going to invest in them. Now, personally, I don't think I believe the lie that my prayers don't matter. But i got to ask myself, how invested am I really in prayer? And I would ask you to ask yourselves the same question. How much are you really investing in prayer? What about this church? What about Greater Alton? As a church, are we really invested in prayer? Or maybe has the devil planted this idea that our prayers aren't really that important, they don't really matter, has that worked its way into our thinking somewhere along the line? What do you think? If we had, what would our attendance be for a wing fling or a fall fun fest or a prayer service? Which one would we get the most participation and attendance from our members from? That's a stinging question. It's not meant to be a wholesale indictment. I just want us to get real about the topic. Because we don't want to fall victim to a lie. At the same time that we have these challenges in how much we're investing in prayer, there are some awesome examples of people investing in prayer here at Greater Alton. I don't know if you've thought about it or if, if it's caught your attention, but you know, we have a prayer team. How many of you guys, by show of hand, are involved with the prayer team? I'm involved with the prayer team. I got a text just last night of someone that needed some prayer. There are people that are always praying. In fact, in your bulletin, there's a response card and whatever you fill out on here and ask for prayer for, there's a team of people who will not talk about you. <laughs> it's not, not the, the seed for gossip or rumor mill, but it's a place where people are going to invest in prayer so that God's will will be done in your life. Not only that, but we have group prayer from time to time here in our assemblies. And I know that was really weird the first time we did it. Because we broke down into small groups and you could hear this murmur of prayer going all over the, the, the church at the same time. And it was something really different. But there was something kind of powerful about it too. And we've done that. We probably ought to do that more, don't you think? COVID disrupted us with some of that. But that's a good example of investing in prayer here with this congregation. We've had prayer services before. We have small groups. Uh, again, before COVID hit, we used to have a Thursday night group that would meet up here to pray every week. Those are good examples. 
this past week, many of you on, that, that keep up with Facebook saw that Jay Bernard was investing in prayer on behalf of a lady that he met. Those are wonderful examples of investing in prayer right here in this congregation. And I've asked Jonathan if he would come up and tell us a little bit about some investing that he's done with some friends, something called drive-through prayer. All right, so a little while ago, um, my mom kind of decided that she just wanted to do something good, which she does often, but sometimes it's kind of hard to decide what to do. Um, so we we formed this group. We didn't have a name for it or anything yet. Um, it was just kind of me, Caden, and my mom and her friends. And uh, we went around trying to... Uh, I can't even exactly remember. We were trying to give like gift bags to people who were in need. So we're like driving around. This was this last uh, fall, winter time, so it was really cold. We ended up really not doing much of anything. I don't think we found anyone. I don't think we tried to talk to some people walking around, but they said they didn't really need anything. So we had a meeting trying to decide what we were going to do. Well, I totally stole this idea from some other people I saw during drive-by prayer. I was like, why don't we just stand in the corner and have a sign that says, need prayer, come stop. Um, so we were like, okay, we'll do that. Um, and I know whenever we first started doing this stuff, I was kind of hesitant about some things. I kept talking to my mom and some of the things that were going on. I was like, I want to make sure what we're doing is like for God and like we have a... Uh, we're not just doing something just to do something. So we tried to pray a whole lot about it. And the drive-by prayer stuff ended up being like crazy filled with opportunities. Like I would have never have thought standing on the street corner offering prayer would have had people coming up to you, sharing stuff about their lives, crying. That became a normal thing when we were sitting there asking people about you know what they needed prayer for. Um, there was a couple of people that we had actually met and got numbers and had made some connections with. Um, it's just... It's been crazy. Um, to be honest with you, I was a little blown away. It's so it seems really small, but it's just so it's just so cool to see that you can make an impact from a way, far away, and you don't have to be in people's face about stuff. And when you pray about it beforehand, God send us an opportunity, send us you know uh, the helpless and harassed. That's the name of our group, by the way. Um, but it it's worked. I mean, it's just crazy. I remember walking around the corner. Or I went to somewhere and I came back and Coral was walking with this guy named Thomas. I ended up meeting this guy named Thomas and know more about his life and talking to him a little bit. Um, my mom made shirts, which is this is what I'm wearing right now. This is a, is anything too hard for the Lord? Uh, the back says, "Let's pray." Um, and it's just been a really cool opportunity to try and put you know God's love out there, let Him know that His people and God is thinking about us, especially during a time like COVID where people have all kinds of crazy stuff going on. It's a good way to just kind of, you know, cheerlead from the side and let them know as they're driving around. Uh, We're going to meet at uh, Salou Park in Alton, and then we just have a Facebook messenger group. Um, If you want to message me or my mom or Coral or really anyone, um, we can get you hooked up with that. Thanks. Thank you, Jonathan. Isn't that cool to hear that? They're investing in prayer. Not for a personal reward. Because some of, some of the people that they're praying for may never come to church with us. But is it a reward for the king? Yeah, I think it's a faithful execution of investing in prayer. And it's, it's good. It's something that we, that the devil hates. It's something that he wants to squash. 
and to turn out the lights on. I want to encourage everybody here to get involved in investing, find ways to invest in prayer. Because it is powerful and effective, and we don't want to buy into the lies that our prayers don't matter. The devil knows we won't invest in things we don't think matter. He also knows, and this is number two in your notes, that I will feel distant and isolated from God if I believe my prayers don't matter. Distant and isolated. Nothing good comes from feeling distant and isolated from God. Number three, he knows he can keep me from being transformed into God's image and even deform me into his own image if he can derail me with lies about my prayers. So this is an important, I think, an important tool, an important part of Satan's strategy that he is deploying right here in real time in our world, in our environment, and even in our churches, in our church, and in us. When do you think you're the most tempted? This is another one of those fill-in-the-blank in the kind of a thing, multiple choice here in your notes. When do you think that you're the most tempted to actually believe that your prayers don't matter? Could it be when things go wrong? Do you struggle to think that your prayers matter when everything is falling apart around you? Yeah? What about when you've sinned? Is it hard to believe that God would want to hear anything from you whenever you've done it again? Yeah? Okay. What about when I can't see my prayers actually making a difference? I keep praying and nothing keeps happening. Are those times that you might struggle with believing that your prayers don't matter? And yet James has told us that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Okay, well, those are three times that Solomon, King Solomon actually anticipated. So I've got to take you back into Old Testament here for just a second. Solomon, his dad, King David, David wanted to build a temple. God said, you're not the guy. Solomon will be the guy. Solomon built this temple, and they have this big dedication service. And you can read about it in 2 Chronicles and in 1 Kings. In fact, in 2 Chronicles, it's chapter 6. 1 Kings is chapter 8. And it's a big deal. Think opening ceremony to the Olympics, only bigger. I mean, everybody's there. Near the end of this big ceremony with this incredible temple behind them, just before they they do all these sacrifices, Solomon gets on his knees and he prays to God. He offers a prayer for the people, but he did not pray, God, protect us now and protect us in the future. I don't know what you would have been praying at that moment, but that's what would have occurred to me. But Solomon was one gifted by God with some wisdom that apparently I didn't get. Anyhow, he prays for seven different scenarios where people might be tempted to think that their prayers didn't matter. And when you look through those seven different scenarios, you're going to find out that Solomon prayed that when, when things go wrong, when we sin, 
When we feel like our prayers don't matter, please, God, listen to us when we pray to you. His prayer was about future prayers. At the dedication of the temple, the thing that's on his mind is, God, what are you going to do with our prayers? And you'll notice that he didn't ask if these things, he didn't in his prayer say, God, if we sin. God, if things go wrong. God, if we feel like you're not listening to us. He says, when. There's just no question. Hard times and these things are going to come at us. The real question is, will we be faithful when they do? Will we be faithful to pray to God? So in chapter 7, God answers Solomon's prayer. And it's worth noting that God didn't answer Solomon's prayer at the big ceremony. Instead, God came to him at night when it was quiet, when it was calm. Isn't that sort of how God always seems to work? It's, he speaks to us when he does. It's usually not in the big moments. That's what I've found. And I've heard other people make the same observation. It seems to be wherever God talks to us and responds to us. It's whenever we're quiet and still. We're being faithful and we're listening. This is whenever he answers us. But in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, God says this to Solomon. He says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and will heal their land. So this big, huge ceremony to dedicate the temple, Solomon, just before the sacrifices, is praying, God, when it all goes crazy, when all these things happen that are going to tempt us to believe that our prayers don't matter, will you please hear us? Solomon is praying that prayer about future prayers, and God's answer is, yes, I will listen to their prayers. I will hear their prayers. Their prayers will matter if... He puts a conditional clause there, if. Now, it's real important to understand. God is not offering us a cosmic quid pro quo. You do this and I'll do that. It's not what God's doing. God doesn't operate that way. You've got to understand, God has designed and ordered this world and our relationship with Him to work in a certain way. We were created to lock ourselves in with Him and His will. The big if is will we align ourselves with God and His will and play our part that we were created to play? So, God says that my prayers will matter if... And I've got at least four things that I can think of to share with you about this. And it comes straight from chapter 7, verse 14, the verse we just read. God says my prayers will matter if, number one, I'm humble. In our small group, how many times are we talking about, man, I lost my humility again? How many of you guys have to fight for your humility? How many of you guys even struggle even understanding what humility is? Humility is tough, but it's the first step. It's the thing that it, we've got to humble ourselves. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves... Prayer is about humility. 
It's an acknowledgement that God's big and we're small. That God's powerful and we just aren't. Do you know when people first began to call on the name of the Lord? It might surprise you. It's back in Genesis chapter 4, verse 26. It says there, Seth had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Up until then, commentators, some commentators speculate that up until then, that time, people didn't believe prayer was effective. That they couldn't change God's mind. In other words, God was going to do whatever God was going to do, so their prayers just didn't matter. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, it does to me too. Some other commentators think that at that time, people were self-reliant. And they believed that prayer was more or less a waste of time. In other words, get up, quit praying, and get busy and do something. Does that sound familiar? Uh, I was trying to refresh my memory earlier with Debbie about a Facebook post she made years ago. It was about prayer, and I actually engaged with someone who was given her grief And some of the responses, even from Christians, to what I said about prayer being effective and making a difference were, well, we can't just be sitting around praying. We need to get up and do something. I wonder if that person had lost sight of the power of prayer and what it's all about. Apparently, that's what had happened in Enosh's time. But Enosh rejected all that and he called on the name of the Lord. What's even more amazing about Enosh is he did it at a time hundreds of years before people even knew what the name of the Lord was. God didn't reveal his name until he talked to Moses. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God revealed his name. He said, you tell Pharaoh, I am. God revealed his name, I am. Well... The challenging thing about this is that calling I am, calling on I am, like Enosh did, means admitting that I am not. If God is I am, it necessarily means that I am not. And that takes what? Humility. If our prayers are going to matter, it has to start with humility. But when we do humble ourselves and we call on the name of the Lord, we become identified with God and our I am not status changes. It changes to I am His. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11, Paul said to the Corinthians, you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul was very familiar with this calling on the name because Ananias had said the same thing to him years earlier. We read about it in Acts chapter 22, verse 16, where Ananias said to Paul, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. When you have the humility to see that God is, I am, that I am not, and the humility to call on His name, surrender to Him, He redefines who you are. And you go from I am not to I am His. It's a wonderful thought. 
There's enough right there in that thought to make one lesson, but I've got more for you. Because in 2 Chronicles 7.14, that's just one of the four things that we find there. One of of the ifs that will determine whether or not our prayers matter. The second one is, my prayers, God says my prayers will matter if I'm praying for God's will to be done, not mine. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Pray and seek my face is about praying for God's will to be done. Prayer is about God's will getting done, not my will. Remember, Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer. How does He start it? What's the top priority? Well, first we address God as Father, which straightens out a few things. It gets to that first question, the big question of life, who's God? It also gets to the second question, Who am I? But then he says our top priority be your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. I think sometimes we think our prayers don't matter because God isn't answering them. Some of you put your hand up whenever we we talked about that being a time whenever it challenges you to believe maybe your prayers don't matter. You haven't gotten the response that you expected from your prayers. But if God isn't answering it might be because we're completely missing the heart of God in our prayers. James 4.3 says, when you pray for things, you don't get them because, why? You want them for the wrong reason, for your own pleasure. Too often we make our prayer about our heart, about our desires and our will. When prayer is supposed to be about exactly the opposite. Prayers are supposed to be about us turning away from our will and turning towards God's. God is not going to answer yes to any prayers that are contrary to His will. You agree? He's not going to do that. 1 John 5.14, John said, This is the confidence we have in approaching God. And we're supposed to have confidence when we approach God. That if we ask anything... According to his will, he hears us. I once, uh, we used to have uh, divorce care as, as a program, and I, I, I helped with that for a little while, and I was dealing with a divorced man who was just insistent that God had to do what he asked because God promised to answer his prayers. So he was praying for his now remarried wife to divorce her husband and to remarry him. And he was confident that this was going to happen. Well, the big question and the thing that I couldn't help him understand at that moment in his pain is we're told that if we pray according to God's will, it'll happen. If it was God's will, you got a good good chance of that happening. But if it's not God's will, then it's about your will. You know, Jesus prayed and asked God for a lot of things in one time that we're told about, God said no to him too. Do you remember the Garden of Gethsemane? But whenever God said no to Jesus, Jesus' answer was yes to God's will. Not my will be done, but thine. Right? It's Luke 22, 42, if you want to go back and check it out. So the question becomes, how can I pray according to God's will? And I need to get moving pretty quickly here because i got a couple more points, and I'm already a little late into this. Okay, so I'm going to fly. 
how can I pray according to God's will? One, I can ask God to teach me what His will is. And I can read God's Word to know what He's up to, what He's trying to do. The Bible is one big picture. It's the story of God and what He's doing in our world. You know, when we became Christians, we became a part of His story. And too often, we've got this idea that we reversed it, that God is a part of our story. We're not, He's not a part of our story. We're supposed to be a part of His story. And so, 1 John, I'm sorry, John, the, the Gospel, 14:26 says this, The Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've told you. Now, he said this to, to his disciples who had been with him in his teachings, but I believe he also means it for us. How do we know everything that Jesus has told us? We've got it written down. We can read it and understand what his will is, and then the Holy Spirit, if we ask God to teach us, the Holy Spirit will teach us what those teachings mean. But he's not going to hit us with, in my experience, he's not going to hit us with a lightning bolt. He's not going to just zap us with this understanding. There's going to have to be a pursuit and an intentionality, a study, a desire to know what God's will is on our part. The second thing I can do to pray according to God's will is I can ask God to help me pray better prayers. No one knows how they ought to pray at first. And even the most mature Christians don't always know how they ought to pray. Can I get an amen? Yeah. But God helps with that too. Romans 8.26, Paul said, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what prayers to offer, nor in what way to offer them. But the Spirit Himself pleads for us in yearnings that can find no words. So there are two things I can do to make sure that I'm praying for in God's will, according to His will. One, I can ask the Holy Spirit to teach me, and I can start looking for His revealed will in His Word. The second thing I can do is ask the Holy Spirit to help me pray better prayers. And then count on Him to make up for my weaknesses. Don't let the fact that you don't know what to pray for make you believe the lie that your prayers don't matter. Your prayers do matter. And if you're a righteous person, which isn't about being perfect, it's about being believing God and being loyal to Him. If your powers can become, your, your prayers can become powerful and effective. Third thing that God tells us, my prayers will matter when I turn from my wicked ways. This is about repentance. You want prayers that matter? You need to understand that prayer is about repentance. I've known Christians who prayed that God would allow them to sin. Or to continue on in a sin. Is that the kind of prayer that's going to matter to God? No. He says back to Solomon, if they will turn from their wicked ways. Second Chronicles 6.36-38. Solomon had anticipated this. He knew it was only a win. Not an if they would sin. And he says this, When they sin against you, for there's no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and give them over to the enemy who takes them captive to a land far away or near. And if they have a change of heart in the land where they're held captive and repent 
and plead with you in the land of their captivity and say, we've sinned and we've done wrong and acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul, what he's describing there is repentance. Repentance is so much more than just stopping an activity. Uh, I was told as a kid that repentance meant about face. You know, I'm going this way. If I repent, then I turn around and I go that way. There's some truth to that. But I can do that without changing my heart. I can do that because of the consequences of my failure and my sin. I may not change how I think about the sin. I can just trust that if I keep the rule, that I'll be okay. That's what we call legalism, and it doesn't last for long. Until there's a change of heart, behavior changes don't last. And Solomon knows that, and that's why he talks about repentance this way. It's got to go deeper than just changing a behavior. It's about humbling out and aligning yourself with God's will. And when I do that, God changes me. He changes my mental map. We talked about that in those first two lessons. We all have these mental maps that we navigate through life with. And if the information corresponds to reality, then we get where we're supposed to go. But lies are not reality. And if I believe a lie, then my mental map is off and I end up someplace I never intended to go. But whenever I humble back, whenever I humble down and I repent and I change my heart and I really want God's will to be done, He changes my mental map. Last thing I've got for you this morning. God says my prayers will matter if I trust God to hear me. He says, then I will hear them from heaven. How many of us have a trouble thinking that our prayers don't matter because God isn't listening to us? And it's just not true. God will hear. There's an if attached to it. We've covered those ifs. But Jesus told a parable that I think is very helpful in understanding this point. He told a parable about a woman who kept asking for justice. You guys remember this parable? It's in Luke chapter 18, verses 7 through 8 is what I'm going to read to you. Even though she hadn't seen it, she kept asking and asking and asking. And Jesus said about that in verse 7, he says, And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? See, the widow got justice because she was persistent. And Jesus is saying, won't God do that? Won't he give you justice? That's, that's a corrupt judge. God isn't corrupt. He wants to give you judge. Will, will he keep putting them off? Verse 8, he says, I'll tell you. He will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That last question is a little troubling for me. Because he's just made the point that God hears prayers. Don't give up. Does God, is God for justice? Is that a part of his will? Absolutely. Did God answer that prayer the first time the widow prayed? Didn't seem like it from the, from the parable. But he's saying God will hear that prayer and he will do that. But will the Son of Man find faithfulness on the earth? Again, the only real question is not what God will do is what we will do. 
See, faith, prayer, there, there are obstacles to prayer. One of them is discipline. It's work to pray, isn't it? It's work. It takes discipline to develop a prayer life. It's not the only obstacle to our prayer. Sometimes our faith is the obstacle. Hebrews 11.1 says that faith shows the reality of what we've hoped for. It's the evidence of things that we cannot see. Faith has a lot to do with loyalty. I mean, the Greek word for it, pistis, it has two colors to it as far as I know. Uh, I'm, I'm relying on other people's education on this and the research they gave. But it has the, the flavor of loyalty and obedience. Of trusting and obeying. In things that we haven't seen yet. I know I read your prayer cards. And I've seen some of you pray the same prayer for years. Is there anything wrong with that? No. In fact, Jesus is saying, you keep praying that prayer if it's according to God's will. If you're asking for God to do His will, don't stop. If it hasn't happened yet, it's not because He hasn't heard you. It's not because He doesn't want to answer that prayer. He's got a timing, He's got a reason, and He's not going to forget about your prayer. And Jesus illustrates it by saying there's a widow who kept seeking justice, and because she was persistent, God answered the prayer. In the same way we should also. I want to tell you one last story to kind of finish up this morning. Um, it's out of Acts chapter 10. And I think it gives us some insight to prayer that can strengthen our faith. Our ability to trust what God and obey God when it comes to prayer. There was a guy named Cornelius. He lived in a town called Caesarea. And if you know the story... He was a centurion, and he was a, doubt, a, a devout, God-fearing man. And he was always giving alms generously, and he was always praying continually to God. He wasn't what we would call a Christian. He wasn't what the Jews would call a Jew. Not fully, but he feared God, and he prayed all the time, and he acted generously. He acted on his faith. And what you'll find in verse 4 is that an angel shows up in response to all these prayers. And what he says is very insightful. The angel says to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. That's why the angel was there. This man's prayers, he's obviously a righteous guy, not perfect. but He obviously believes God. And he's loyal to God. In an age where other people of his social status, you know, all the demographics that he would check the marks for. Other people weren't this way, but this guy was. And he kept praying, and he kept living it, and being generous with God's people, and an angel shows up. And what he says about your prayers and your alms is, alms are money, support. They've come up as a memorial before God. What does that mean? What's a memorial? What's that? Yeah, it's something that provokes a memory, that calls into something. Can you think of any famous memorials we've got around here? The Lovejoy Monument. The Wadmo Statue. There's, there's all kinds of, of things that we have that are, but they're landmarks. 
Did you know that your prayers don't just evaporate? That's what this verse is saying. Your, your prayers don't just, you breathe them out and then they're gone. You may forget about your prayers, but God doesn't. Whenever you are consistent and you believe that God will hear your prayer and answer from heaven, and you're persistent in prayer like the widow, you have that faith, your prayers, like Cornelius' prayers, stand like road signs and landmarks before God, and they never go away. And in God's timing, whenever it is in His will to do it, He will honor that. Sometimes it happens quickly. Sometimes it takes years. But the question is, will the Lord find faithfulness when He returns? Your prayers matter. They don't fall away, fall away or fade away or fall to the ground. He will hear you, and your prayers will matter. If. That's the truth. Okay. I'm going to pray. Lead us in a prayer. We're going to sing a song and close it out for this morning. Father, uh, we love you. We thank you for allowing us to come here in your, in your name today and to learn more about you, to learn more about how to please you and to find out about your will. Father, please help us not to fall for the devil's lies. And please don't let us, let the thought that our prayers don't matter take root in us as individuals or as a congregation. Uh, Father, we have to confess that we struggle with our righteousness. Sometimes we, we struggle to believe you. Sometimes we struggle in our loyalty to you. But we want desperately to be loyal to you and to believe you, to believe what you say, no matter what. We live in an age where we are assaulted with all sorts of lies, voices that shout down or try to shout down your voice. Father, please strengthen our faith and help us to invest more and more in prayer. Prayer on your terms. Prayer for your will to be done here on earth like it is in heaven. Father, we need humility so bad. We are a stiff-necked and self-reliant people. We want to do things our way. And we want to lean on our own efforts. Father, please help us to learn to be truly humble and to work through prayer, and to learn to hear your Spirit's voice leading us where you want us to go. Father, we thank you for all the good examples of people who invest in prayer here at GAC and other places. Help us to be persistent and to keep investing in prayer, knowing that our prayers ascend to you as memorials, that you don't forget a single prayer we pray, and when the time is right, you will answer from heaven. Thank you, Father, for allowing our prayers to matter. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.